1: Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. We have all heard that nursery rhyme and we probably said it a time or two when we were growing up. I tried to get online on Google and figure out where did this come from? And there were so many different explanations as to the origin of Humpty Dumpty or even who or what Humpty Dumpty is. But one thing that I know for sure is that every single one of us in life, at one time or another, we have all had a Humpty Dumpty moment. What does that mean? What does that look like? You and I, we have both had moments in our life where we have fallen off the wall, where we are literally feeling shattered or broken, and we don't know how we're going to get up. We don't know how things are going to get better. All the king's horses and all the king's men, all the earthly knowledge maybe couldn't put us back together again. But I have a feeling that today we're going to find out who can put us back together again when we have a Humpty Dumpty moment. As I think through my life, I think about a lot of moments that transpired for me. Uh, Growing up as a small girl, I went through lots of different things in life. I was physically abused, sexually abused, emotionally abused. Any and everything you could possibly imagine that happened to a young girl that is negative happened to me. I've had those moments where I felt shattered and I felt broken and wondered, how am I going to get up from this? I remember when my daughter, who is now getting ready to turn 21, I remember when I was pregnant with her and the doctors let us know that she wasn't going to make it. They told us that she had tumors in her brain and so many so that there was nothing they could do and that all I could do was go home and wait to either miscarry or schedule uh, a time to have the pregnancy terminated. Those were big, humpty-dumpty moments for me. I will never forget feeling how shattered and broken I felt in those moments. Even in the church life, I've had moments where I felt like I'd fallen off the wall. We were building a building in the middle of the recession in 2008. As a matter of fact, the, the building that I'm standing in now, it's been through many expansions from 2008 to now. But when we were building our first building, literally, we had broken ground, things were progressing, the bottom falls out of the economy, and our banker pulls the loan on us. That was a big, humpty-dumpty moment, and if you're a parent, and you have been a parent of teenagers, I am actually, I've only got one left, who is turning 19 very soon, but my other kids are grown, but as a mom, as a parent, I've had many Humpty Dumpty moments with my kids where I felt like I was in tears or shattered or broken because of things that they were walking through. In other words, all of us, it it may look different for you, but all of us had moments in life where we don't know how we're going to get back up. The pain seems so great and seems so intense. And I found that there's two types of humpty-dumpty moments where I've been broken. One are the things that were out of my control. There was absolutely nothing that I could do about it. You know, a lot of us right now are dealing with the the COVID-19 and it's, it's really affected us. It could have affected your finances, your job stability. Um, you could have your health impacted. All of those things are things that none of us had anything to do with, it's something that that transpired in our life, but we may feel like we've fallen off the wall or like we've been broken. So that's one way is things that happen to us that we had absolutely no control over. But then there's the other. There's those moments in life where we've fallen off the wall because of something we've done, a poor decision or a poor choice that we have made. The good thing about both of those is that We might not be able to do much about it, but God can certainly pick up those broken pieces. Even though we may feel shattered, we may feel broken, and nobody else may seem to know how to help to heal us or put those pieces back together again. There is somebody that does. I've seen in my life a lot where as Christians, I mean, most of you watching, you're probably a Christian, which means simply that you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. I know there are some That probably have it. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But for those of you who are Christians and who have walked through hard stuff in life, as all of us have, one of the things that I've noticed is I've noticed there are a lot of Christians that are sitting on the sidelines that have gone through something difficult and maybe haven't gotten back up again. I think it's important to talk about this today. There's times where we're not engaged in the game, we're sitting on the sidelines, but one of the things that I've realized is that we shouldn't be on the sidelines of a game that we are still qualified to play in. So it doesn't matter what it looks like, doesn't matter how many times you've been hurt or broken, God still said, hey, you got the jersey, you got this, go get in the game, even though when we've been hurt, The tendency is to want to shrink back, to want to step back, to want to pull back. I don't believe that's the way God wants us to handle things. So maybe we can learn that it's not about what happens to us. It's about what happens to us and our response to that. That is so important because I've learned this about God. I can make a total mess of a situation and God doesn't see it as a complete mess. He sees it as a growth opportunity he looks at those opportunities where maybe I have failed, maybe maybe you have failed, and he uses them as a teaching moment, a growth moment, a time that says, okay, listen, you didn't fail this, you just get a retake. I love what my husband says. He said, God never makes you fail a test. He just says, hey, you get a redo, you get a retake. And I think if we understood that in our life, when maybe we fall in. We could get back up again and say, hey, it didn't look the way I thought it would. It didn't turn out the way that I thought it would, but I'm going to try again. I'm going to get back up because you see, when we see a prison, God merely sees a boot camp. In other words, when we feel like we're trapped, when we feel like there's no hope, God is like, wait a second, this is just training ground. You got this. This isn't a big deal. This is just equipping you for what I've got next. No, I didn't cause it, but I will most certainly use this. When we see a prison, God sees a boot camp. And if you think about that in the military terms, because actually we are all in a military. We are all in the army of God. But if you think about that in military terms, I know a lot of people that don't make it all the way through boot camp. Why? Because it's hard, because it's difficult. And God is saying, listen, I want you to learn how to get through this boot camp, so when you actually have to go into battle and you have to fight the enemy, you'll be able to overcome. You'll be able to succeed because you licked the boot camp. You went through boot camp and you understood that it wasn't your prison, it was your training ground. Man, what a different way to think. What if right now, instead of thinking, man, we're trapped, I feel trapped, I feel isolated, I feel a bit like I'm in prison having this quarantine thing going on. What if we looked at it like, man, I'm just in boot camp right now. I'm just getting training for my mission, my purpose. God's not forgotten about me. God is still there. What, what if I just looked at it differently. What if I took my situation and I flipped it around and turned it around and I said, God, what are you trying to teach me right now? You didn't cause this bad. God never causes bad, but God will always use the bad to teach us something good. I heard this long time ago and I've never forgotten it. God will never waste a hurt. God will never waste your pain. Whenever you go through pain, God is just like, hey, you know what? Let's increase your pain threshold. Come on. Yeah, yeah, you made it that. Let's, let's do it again. It's amazing. Um, there was a season, believe it or not, where I actually used to run. Now the only time I would run is if there's a big bear chasing me. But there was a season of life where I actually joined a running club. I know it's hysterical and I find it funny as well. But one of the things I learned in that running club is where my threshold was wasn't always where it could be. Once I got a mile down and I didn't think I could do any more, then I learned I could do two miles. Once I hit the two-mile mark, then I learned I could do three. And so I think sometimes when we are going through a difficult situation and we think, man, I, don't, I can't do any more. I'm about at my limit. All it is is us going through training. The reason that they teach you to go through boot camp is because they want you to see every scenario. So when you're in the battle, you're a good warrior. God is like, listen, let me take you through boot camp so you will be a good warrior. What you see is a total mess. God sees it as just training ground and he's learning to help take us to another level that is higher than our pain. Doesn't always feel good. But my goodness, in the end, we will look back and go, I I can't believe that I walked through that. How did I get through that? How did I run one mile? How did I run two, three, four, five, six? You gotta start somewhere. And God's like, listen, I'll take your somewhere and I will multiply that out. I wanna read to you a story in Samuel, but first I wanna just kinda set it up a little bit. In 2 Samuel 4, there was a king named Saul, and he had uh, a son named Jonathan. He had many sons, but one of them was named Jonathan, and Jonathan and David were very, very tight. Well, David and Saul, Saul was kind of a mean king. He wasn't the greatest of kings, but David was loyal and faithful to him, even though he was under bad leadership. And King Saul's son, Jonathan was actually his best friend. They had such a bond. They actually had a covenant relationship that said, as long as I live, I will always take care of you, look after you. They had an unbreakable bond. So what happens is King Saul and his army, his sons, they all go into battle uh, with the Philistines and they get completely annihilated. They get completely wiped out. For a couple of reasons one when you go into battle you want to take down the king you want to take down the authority but what you also want to do is you want to make sure you wipe out his family because if you wipe out his family you wipe out his lineage not only was that the stance of what the enemy would try to do but anybody that would try to rise up in the Israelites who would want to come and take that new kingship They also would want to wipe out all the family just to make sure that there was nobody that could contest them wanting to be king. So what happens is the Philistines come in and they wipe out the family. They completely annihilate the family and David finds out about this and David is just heartbroken and destroyed. But one thing that people don't realize or people don't know is that Jonathan, King Saul's son... He actually had a son himself. His name was Mephibosheth. I think Mephibosheth is a great name. I think that my children ought to name their first child Mephibosheth. Could you just imagine Mephibosheth Maxwell? Doesn't that just have a ring to it? I think it sounds amazing. Colby, Cabell, y'all are married. I'm just saying Mephibosheth Maxwell is a great, great name. So Jonathan has this boy, this son, who is five years old named Mephibosheth. And what happens is, is when his nurse, his nanny, the one that looked after him and cared for him, when she heard that the family was being annihilated and wiped out and that the Philistines were killing everyone off, she grabbed Mephibosheth, she picked him up and she went running and fleeing for her life. But something happened when she was running. When she was running and she took off, she actually dropped him. She dropped this five-year-old boy, and the Bible says that his legs became lame because he was dropped. Now, some scholars, we don't know exactly the extent of the damage, but we know he was considered lame, and he could not walk any longer. He was just completely, his legs were mangled. So here he is, five years old, he gets dropped and she was running, trying to save him, but actually ends up harming him and maiming him for life. They go into hiding and there is a period of time That takes place where David, who had risen up to be the king now, was trying to calm the territories down. There is a period of years that go by because the battles had been raging for so long. When things finally got peaceful and David was king, David started looking around. He had some time to reflect when the battles stopped raging and because he had time to reflect, he said, you know what? There's a question that I have. I'm trying to figure something out. And here we're going to pick up in this story. Now that it's a time of peace and the wars have stopped, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, it says, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? In other words, I made this covenant to Jonathan. Is there anybody that's, that's left over from this battle that, that survived? Do, do you know of anybody in his lineage? And it says, now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned to him to appear before David, who is the king now. And he, the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service he replied, the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? I mean, is everybody wiped out? I mean, this is really on my mind right now. I've been thinking a lot about Jonathan and the covenant that I had with him. And, and, and is there anybody in that lineage left? And Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both of his feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is out the house of Makir, son of Emil in Lodabar. He's in this place called Lodabar. So King David had him brought from where? From Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Mekir, son of Amiel, Brings him out from Lodabar. The thing that's so interesting to me about this is I did the research on this, and Mephibosheth is living in this place called Lodabar. Lodabar literally means land of nothing. He's living in a land of nothing. It means a place without hope, a place that is void. The thing that I love about the king is he always wants to go in and bring you out from your Lodabar, from that place of feeling like you're nothing, that place of feeling like there's no hope, that place of feeling like there's a void, like something is missing, because that's the place where Jonathan's son is. Heir to the throne, Mephibosheth was living in a place of nothingness. Maybe you have felt like that before, like you're living in a place of nothingness. Maybe you feel like that right now. Maybe you just need to know that the king hasn't forgotten about you. He's still looking for you. You may be sitting in a land of nothing but the king always goes and looks for the broken. So here he is. He's looking for the broken boy with the lame feet. Why? Because he's an heir to the throne. Doesn't matter what may have happened. Doesn't matter what may have transpired. It's not about what he did. It's not about whether he feels lame or whether he feels broken. He's in the lineage of a king. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6, we're gonna to continue to read. It says, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, they went and pulled him out of nothingness and brought him before the king. It says he bowed down to pay him honor. Now you have to understand, Mephibosheth right now is probably really nervous because the Bible actually tells us there were two people that had been out for him, One, the Philistines that were wanting to wipe him out and whoever the new king was could have felt threatened that maybe because of his lineage, he would come back and and lay hold to the claim of being king. But David wasn't about that. David was not concerned, but Mephibosheth didn't know that. So here he is summoned and brought before the king, this lame man who had been living in nothingness. And David said, Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth responded, at your service. He said, don't be afraid. I, I'm, I didn't bring you here to harm you or hurt you. You've been through enough. I, I'm a good king. I'm not here to hurt you. David said to him, for I will surely, here's why I wanted to find you. I want to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you to all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. That is why I put a table up here because I wanna talk about this table. I wanna talk about the table that the king set and prepared for us. A table that he wants us to eat at but there's something we've got to understand if we're going to go and dine at the king's table. So I'm going to keep reading, and then I'll break this scripture down even more. He says, you will always eat at my table, at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I think it's interesting right here that Mephibosheth refers to himself as a dead dog, not just a dog, not just something that is insignificant or small. He actually adds the word dead on it. In other words, I'm so small that I should be discarded. That's what you do with things that are dead. You take them out, you get them out of the city. That was the practice. He's saying, I should be discarded. You see, because he'd been living in Lodabar, he'd been living in a place, sitting in a place of nothingness. The other thing that I think is really important to understand is what the name Mephibosheth actually means. Mephibosheth means from the mouth of shame. So not only was he sitting in a land of nothing, but he actually had shame that he was, was coming out of his mouth because he had identified himself with shame because of what had happened to him in life. Because he fell off the wall and he didn't see any way out. I mean, in, in agricultural society, and here he is, he can't go farm the land or till the land. He's lame in his feet. What is he supposed to do? It looked hopeless for him. What is he supposed to do? Well, King David is saying, no, 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 you're not a dead dog. we got to shift that perspective in your mind. You may have felt like you were in a place of nothingness. You may be riddled with shame, but now you're in front of the king. You get to come and you get to eat and sit at my table. It says, then the king summoned to Zeba. Saul's steward and he said to him I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and to his family you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for and Mephibosheth grandson of your master will always eat at my table. How many times have we felt ourselves in that place where we didn't feel worthy? We felt like our past was too big. Our hurt was too big. We had been dropped in life. I can tell you so many times I felt dropped in life by people who were supposed to look out for me, by people who were supposed to protect me, by people who were supposed to be there and look out for me and cover me. But I was mishandled and I was dropped. And it caused me lame aspects in my life because of that drop. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you have been dropped. Maybe you went through a divorce and it was a really hard situation. Maybe you're struggling right now with marriage issues and you're going, I don't know how I can recover. Maybe you and your business, you're struggling right now in this economy, going, I don't even know what's gonna come of things. I I feel like I'm in the land of Lodabar. I feel like there's nothingness, like there's a void, like I'm 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 missing something. Do you know that you are in the lineage of a king? Do you know that you have access to his table? You get to come to his table. You have a place that is set for you. I learned this a long time ago, and I have to remind myself when I go through pain, God is not the source of my pain. God simply wants to use my pain. What the devil means to harm you, God can turn around and heal you. What the devil means to harm, God can turn around and it can come back and heal you. When you get knocked down, can I ask you this? What's your attitude? What's your attitude? Because what I've learned is God will never consult my pain when determining my future. I mean, sometimes I wished you would. I'm like, God, I don't want to do that. It's too painful. And he's like, Penny, I'm not about your pain. I'm not about your comfort. I don't care about any of that. I'm about your growth. So God will never consult your pain when determining your future. Your pain needs to consult your God. I love that. The truth is I don't care what country you're watching from. I don't care if you're in your living room, if you're in your kitchen, if you're at work right now watching this. All I want you to know is you are not alone in feeling crippled at times. You are not alone in feeling broken at times. All of us have been there and some of us are there right now. But what we have to understand is we have a seat at the table I've found that if I can get my perspective right, I don't sit in shame for very long. I've found that if I can get my perspective right, I don't feel like I'm sitting in the nothingness for very long. You see, here's the thing about Mephibosheth. He was dropped in life and that was not his fault. He did nothing to deserve that, nothing at all. But you know what was his responsibility? was his response to it. We know if we keep reading the scriptures that by the time that David found him, he was dropped at five years old. By the time that David found him, he had a small child of his own. So we know that years went by, but yet he's still living in shame. He's still living in nothingness. It wasn't his fault that he got dropped, but it absolutely was his fault that he stayed dropped that he stayed down that he did not get back up because when we have the lineage of the king we get to sit at the table no matter what hurt no matter what struggles no matter what pain has come our life come in our life why is that why is this verse these verses multiple times keep talking about coming and sitting at the table you see here's why all of our lives look different, and the things that have happened in our lives look different, but all of us are crippled in our legs. All of us were born in a fallen world. In other words, there was some crippling aspect. Think of this like Mephibosheth. Think of a, a man now who, who was a boy but is, is grown into a man, and he's still holding on to the pain. He's still holding on to his lameness. But here's the thing. No matter how mangled, how broken, how disfigured your legs are, when you come and you are invited to sit at the king's table, you can't see that brokenness anymore. You can't see those lame legs. You can't see those maimed legs that were hurt, that were broken. You can't see the parts of you that have been dropped when you are at the king's table. It is all covered up. It is all gone. Nobody can see your brokenness anymore. Nobody can see those wounds anymore because you have a seat at the table of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And do you know what? God will come after you. He will come after you in the land of Lodabar. He will come after you and he will change your name. Your name may be shame, but God says, no, no, you're not going to wear that. You know what you're going to wear? You're going to wear, you're going to wear my kid. You, you have a direct line in the lineage and you get to come sit at the table where all of your brokenness hides and disappears and is gone. I love this scripture in Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. It says this, and I just want to preface this, doesn't matter what kind of hell you've walked through, doesn't matter what kind of abuse you've suffered, no matter what kind of turmoil you've suffered or what you are suffering right now. God says, I still want you at my table. I will come and I will get you out of that land. I will bring you and have a feast prepared before you. Romans eleven twenty nine says this. God's gifts and God's call are under full warranty. They're never canceled and they're never rescinded. I'm going to have Leslie come up here and play a song. I know she's in the building but this song means a lot to me. I know you heard this song earlier, but I want her just to start playing this song because I think it speaks to where we are right now. I think we're dealing with stuff and we don't know what to do with the pieces. You, you may be sitting there going, ah, you're right. I've fallen off the wall. I'm just like Humpty Dumpty. I'm I'm broken, and I don't know what to do about it. But I want to sing this song again. I want to sing the chorus of it, and I want you to just sing along with Leslie as she begins to sing this out. Can you just take a minute in your house, at your kitchen table, at your work, with your earbuds in? Would you just stand up? Just just take an act of faith and just just by you standing up, you're saying, I am standing up out of Lodabar. I'm standing up out of shame. I'm getting up out of the things that have happened to me. I am no longer going to be identified by that. And God, I give you the pieces right now. Leslie, would you just sing
0: that for us? Hmm. heart. My when I felt broken, put me back together. You, back together. you are the defense.
1: today, he wants to pick up all those pieces and put you back together again. What I would love for you to do right now, wherever you are, just take your hand and put it over your heart. Just put it over your heart. And that's just saying, God, I I know there's some pieces I need you to put back together. Everyone else, man, all the king's horses, all the king's men can't fix it. But there's a king who can and his name is Jesus. Would you just say this with me today? Just say, Heavenly Father, I come before you with all my broken pieces. I ask you to put me back together again. God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross And I accept that sacrifice in my life right now. And I hand him all of those pieces because he is the great defender. I want to be reintroduced to his love. Maybe you've been away from him. Right now is the time to come back. Just say, I want to come home. It's as simple as that. Just saying, I want to come home. I want to come back. He loves you so much. I was um, a few weeks ago before this whole quarantine started, I was sitting at lunch with a family from our Lake Norman campus, and they have the cutest little girl. Her name is McCall. And we were coloring a coloring page that they give you at the restaurant. And as we sat there and we colored together, she broke the crayon, and, and it squished, and it looked like there was nothing left, and she said, oh, no, my crayon is ruined. I can't color anymore, and I said, wait, 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 hold on. I said, let me tell you what I learned, McCall, and I took that paper, and I pulled it all back, and I showed her that there was a crayon still under there, and I looked at her, and I said, sweetie, broken crayons still color. And that's what I want you to know today. Doesn't matter what you've walked through. Hand those pieces over. God's shoulders are so much bigger and broader. And if you even need to just literally take your hands and do this and hand it over, He wants to do that today for you.